Uh, first, wow, look at all the mosquitoes. Yeah, they, he just dude. stirred them up. Stirred I walked them over up. there. Right. Sorry. <laughs> um, uh, first, thank you for letting me uh, be able to share with you. So I hope it's been um, insightful, uh, maybe a little confusing at times. If not, then it, 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 it should be. Um, so it is one of those things where, again, as I've always said, I've... I, I really, I, I appreciate those individuals and scholars that write that tend to lean towards specific views. That is always informative. However, my teaching method is, I really think that what we do and the best learning method that we have out there is to lay it out for you to make a decision, you know, for yourself. Um, you know, and it's like a friend of mine, uh, we ran track together in college. He's a, t a science teacher. Um, he obviously works in the public schools and cannot teach creationism, uh, but he has students that will come up to him and say, well, what about this? And he says, if you would like me to talk to you about that, come see me after class. And so he takes those opportunities to make sure that they have a well-rounded um, education. And so that is kind of my teaching model is I want people to understand that there are certain things on this topic that we just don't have a good handle on. And, you know, if a person ever does say, no, this is the way that it is, like the Baptist church in Oak Harbor, Ohio, where I, where I pastored for several years, who part of his mission statement was, Jesus Christ is pre-tribulational and you have to agree to that. Um, if you wanted to be a member of this church and, you know, and he was also that he also said, and you must abide by the King James only version of, of the Bible. So, yeah, so he was a bit on the fundamentalist side. And, you know, and to me, that is one of those times which you become very much uh, manipulative in people's faith and you don't give them the credit that is that God has given them the ability to think. Almost um, like a dictator. A little yeah. bit, yes. And, a little? Um, wow, well, he's getting terrible. Yeah. So let's, let's talk about uh, this. Let's talk about the harlot. How's that? Let's talk about this woman of ill repute. Um, there is two women, again, in the scriptures. There is the bride, and then there is also this harlot, the prostitute. And if you have, it should be Revelation 17, uh, the section that I gave you today. Um I think we led up to that point yesterday. Correct me if I'm wrong. But the paper I gave you today will kind of go over this a little bit. Again, what I'm giving you today is not my complete notes. Um, if I did that, you would have to come back next week and probably the week after. Uh, so I'm going to try to kind of give you some pieces. However, if you haven't received the my full notes, I will send them to you and you can just keep them. You can... Use them for kindling. I don't care, but you can, they're yours. Um, this woman is not to be confused with the woman mentioned in chapter 12. She is the source of every idolatrous manifestation um, in time and space. She is the unholy antithesis of the woman of the lamb. Um, so when we begin to see this woman, again, remember, Satan constantly mimics what God does. And he, ha he can't come up with anything original, so he mimics and so this woman is going to be uh, somebody that is well adorned on the outside. However, the bride is not. She is from the inside. Her, her beauty comes from the inside. This woman's beauty comes from the outside. And so 
Uh, some will uh, some will call her Babylon the Great, uh, and you have to go back because that name Babylon keeps coming up, which obviously goes clear back into the Book of Genesis, which goes back into the Tower of Babel, and and you know, and uh, as we get into that, there's a lot of interesting history with the Tower of Babel, and it actually goes back to uh, this guy named Nimrod. Do you remember that name? Um, interesting little study with Nimrod um, they most would say as you go back and this is probably what we call extra biblical meaning the historical accounts of this story is not found in the scriptures but many believe that Nimrod's wife was uh, Samaramis have you ever heard that name um, Samaramis well eventually this story of Samaramis says that the wife of Nimrod now in Nimrod the Bible says was a, um, I forget the exact term, it seems like he was a good man, he wasn't, he was a vile man. Um, And his wife was Samaramis, and the story of Samaramis is that she was impregnated by a sunbeam, and she gave birth to a son by the name of Tammuz. Um, Tammuz was obviously born without the aid of a father. So out of that, we have Samaramis and Tammuz. Eventually, that storyline begins to ch- change because the Bible or the, the the history of that history of that story says that eventually Tammuz was killed by a wild beast and then comes back to life. Um, so there's a lot of interesting connections here. That woman's name eventually changes, and it changes down through history. Her name changes to Asherah, and his name changes to. Baal. So there is this storyline that you'll see going clear back to idolatrous worship in Babel that eventually has these storylines that go down through Greek worship, Roman worship, uh, Jupiter. Um, uh, there's another name for him. Um, Aphrodite is another name for her. There's a lot of history with that. So if you ever get a chance, you might want to look that up a little bit. Um, but again, Asherah and Tammuz eventually. Now, I'm going to be really careful, and I would encourage you to be very careful and who you mention this to. But there are some scholars that believe that eventually that mother-son worship translates into Mary and Jesus. You didn't hear that from me, and if you tell anybody I said that, I'll deny it. But there are some that believe that mother-son worship has been historical all down through our history, leading up even into the Catholic Church today. Um, So that's something to kind of wet your whistle, I guess, a little bit and and look into that. but it does. It's got kind of an interesting little uh, nuance to it. So something to be aware of. She is known as Babylon the Great. The other thing about her is that uh, when we get into this beast, we're actually skipping from the harlot now into this uh, beast. Um, there is a beast that will be described in the book of Revelation. So as you go back, you need to understand that the Bible describes him as having seven heads, which represent the seven hills of Rome or seven kingdoms. So this beast now that's being described in Revelation 7 is, again, a a depiction in John's eyes of something that he can't really explain, but it has seven heads. A lot of scholars believe that this seven-headed beast is the seven hills in Rome. 
Thus the reason that some believe that false worship and the false prophet, some believe it, is going to come out of Rome. And then they, of course, associate it with the Catholic Church. Um, I don't say that to you because I, I get a little, not defensive, but I will defend the Catholic Church when it comes to people that will say, uh, a lot of things like Catholics aren't saved or Catholics, you know, the false prophet comes out of the Catholic uh, faith or, or church. And, and, and that may be true. However, I believe I personally have friends that are Catholic that are saved. Um, so I will tell anybody you can't you can't lump everybody into the hole. And you so be very careful about that. Um, just like there are Messianic Jews, I believe there are truly uh, saved, born-again Catholics. Um, so I, I, I grew up in an era where there was a lot of angst against the Catholic Church. And so I think today we need to be careful now. Uh, so when we get into that, yes, could this be the seven hills? Could this be something that is centered on the Catholic Church? Could the false prophet come out of the Catholic Church? Possibly. Don't know. Um, there's something to kind of keep in the back of your heads. The seven heads could represent seven emperors from Rome, from Nero all the way to Caesar and down. Uh, if you know anything about Nero, Nero uh, blamed the burning of Rome on the Christians, uh, even though many believe he was the one that called for Rome to be burned. Uh, so interesting little tidbit there. Um, uh, so, and obviously not a good man. Nero was, uh, was wicked. The seven heads could represent seven empires that oppressed Israel from Egypt all the way down to Rome and then eventually one that is yet to come that the Bible doesn't mention. So we have six, Egypt, Assyria, Babylon, Persia, Greece, Rome, and then one that has not yet come. Now it's like, well, Randy, what's the answer? It's like, the answer's right in front of you. Um, I don't know. Uh, so it's just one of those things where it's like, hmm, it's good fodder to sit there and digest and think, okay, you know, as I, as the day grows closer and closer, at least now I've got things that I can look out for. Um, instead of one particular thing, it's, it's many things. So, uh, that's a good thing for you. Um, the, the beast is going to destroy eventually the religious system that he has set up. That's interesting to me. So we've got the we've got Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. The false prophet sets up this worldwide religious practice. So you, in order to follow or be a part of this, this is where the mark of the beast will come in. You have to abide by a, a monetary system. You have to abide by a religious system. You will have to buy into this in order to live. Um, that's why, too, I've always said that by chance, if the church is around, guess where we're going to be? We're going to be underground. Um, but the funny thing is, is guess where the church is today? Underground in many places. Um, so the, this beast that the, the Antichrist, however, somewhere along this timeline is eventually going to turn his back on his own religious practice. <laughs> And he's going to then point his finger. Now, we just finished a series at the church on the devil, a five-week series. And one of the things that we know scripturally that the devil does is he attempts and then he accuses. He tempts and accuses. It's funny, and you probably can relate to this, where the devil whispers in your ear, go ahead, do it. You know, 
nobody's going to notice or everybody else does it. And, and so we jump. Over here telling you, uh -huh. Exactly. And then what happens? Then he jumps to the other. Show. We always have, you know, an angel on one, a devil on the other. I always say it's a devil on one, a devil on the other. Yeah. <laughs> he tempts on this side and then he accuses on this side. It's like you can't be a person of faith. You can't be truly a believer because you just did this. And so he accuses. Well, the funny thing is, is he's going to set up this religious system worldwide that people will buy into. And then guess what he does? Then he's going to turn his back and he's going to say, you guys bought into my lie. And he's going to accuse. And people will then know, not from, they'll know from Jesus, but they won't know directly from Jesus eventually. But they'll know that their own, the own, their own, uh, the God that they follow is now saying, I tricked you. Um, you followed this practice. And so they will know that we blew it. Um, so those are some things to kind of be aware of when it comes to the beast. Um, now this, uh, la, 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 la. the next page, I do give you a little bit of information going back to this um, beginning of false worship and the description of Nimrod and, uh, and actually I do print out the name Samaramis in there so some of you can figure out what is that name how do you spell it um, but uh, again going clear back to Genesis and now even to, into Revelation we continue to have this this movement um, of, of what's going to take place now we're going to get into chapter 20, but before I do that, I want to dabble in chapter 18 um, because I don't have any slides for chapter 18, but I do. I did give you the notes. It's going to talk a little bit more about what takes place and how chapter 17 and 18 coincide together. Um, if you look there at the top, it should say Revelation 18 in the top right, and it says, what are the different Babylons? Well, in chapter 17, that's the religious Babylon uh, ruled by the false prophet. Chapter 18 is the economic Babylon ruled by the Antichrist. So we've got these two Babylons that are working together. What are the similarities? Well, both are controlled by Satan. Both rule as queens. Both are filled with blasphemies and both hate the saints. Um, in chapter 17 and 18, both commit fornication or spiritual fornication with the kings of the earth. That's not talking about physical. It's just, I mean, it could be. I'm not going to sit there and say it's not, but it's going to be a fornication where you buy into or you unite yourself with a system that is ungodly. Um, the differences. Uh, they have different names. In chapter 17, it's Mystery Babylon. In chapter 18, it's Great Babylon. So we've got these two different uh, Babylons that are actually working together. Chapter 17, she's a prostitute. Chapter 18, she's a queen. Chapter 17, there's seven uh, city on seven hills, which many believe is Rome. In chapter 18, it's a port city. Uh, some believe modern-day Basra. Um, and don't ask me where Basra is because I didn't look that up and I should have. But uh, you've got the notes, so now you can Google it. Um, chapter 17, sins with religious abomination. Chapter 18, sins with greed. Chapter 17, she is destroyed by her lover, which is where the Antichrist turns his back. Chapter 18, destroyed by God. So we've got a lot of similarities that are going on between chapter 17 and 18. Um, and so... Uh, then we get into, there's a section where in verse 4, it says God is speaking and says, come out of her. Some believe that that is 
the moment where God raptures his church come out of her. He takes his church out. Um, I share that with you only so that you have a little bit more of in, more information to understand where are we at in this whole process. Um, but he does call us to, to come out. There are some mourners that you'll see, and I'm just going to briefly go over these that talk about the kings of the earth, the merchants of the earth, and the captains of the earth. And it gives a little description that the kings of the earth own it, the merchants of the earth sell it, and the captains of the earth ship it. Um, so you're going to see that what happens on the earth at this time monetarily is going to be widespread. And there's going to be people from every facet of the economic system that are going to look at the this system or this time and they're going to mourn because what was sold to them, a bill of goods that was sold to them about an economic system is going to crumble. Uh, it's just going to come, it's going to get devastated. Three sins that bring judgment. Idolatry, excessive luxury, and persecution of the of the saints. You can take into that idolatry or excessive luxury. Um, one of the things that God always punishes, go back to the Old Testament, every single time is he hates sexual sin. And so as we see sexual sin in the scriptures, God always punishes it. Um, if you ever, going back to the story of Samaramis and Tammuz and how that eventually turned into Asherah and Baal in the Old Testament, if you know anything about Asherah and Baal, um, Baal was the god of, of greenery. He was the god of agriculture. Um, and then Asherah was the goddess of fertility. So Aphrodite, um, she was the goddess of love. So in the Bible, whenever you saw what they called temple prostitutes, um, or when they would have temple, uh, uh, like they would call them Asherah poles and temples to Baal. Whenever you saw temple prostitutes, what was going on was that many people would go to the temple and they would sleep with a temple prostitute that would appease Baal so that agriculture would be plentiful. So, that's why you often saw that um, in the Old Testament. Um, it's funny. That's the, I've always said that's the one time you probably saw a lot of men at church um, because. <laughs> sorry, but the, the, they. Uh, but that's what was going on was that they would they would go and that and that and sleep with a temple prostitute and that was to appease Baal and then Baal would make things green. Um, and as you know, in Israel, there was times where no rain for seasons and all sorts of different things were just uh, very difficult. So that's why you would see that. Um, and another interesting um, little tidbit, uh, a few years ago, two, three years ago, my wife and I went to Greece um, and we had a chance to, uh, to tour Corinth. Um, and our guide was amazing. I just, I, to this day, I just really appreciated the things that he brought up. But when we were in Corinth, uh, we were, uh, if you don't know where, if you don't know anything about Corinth, it lies at the base of this mountain that is on the mountain is a temple. And it's the temple of Aphrodite. And so he went through this entire history. And I've shared this with the church at times and different groups that I've had, but the history of the church at that point in time, that it was a fledgling church, very young church. But in Corinth, 
what would often take place is certain days of the year, maybe one day, maybe multiple, I'm not real sure, there were prostitutes up at the temple of Aphrodite. They would come down into the city of Corinth and they would offer themselves to the people of Corinth, men, women, children. You could always tell who those people were from the temple because their heads were shaved. And they would come down, and basically, I'm, I'm assuming that that's how they would earn money, is they would come down, offer their bodies, get money, and then they would go back, and that would be how they took care of the temple. The prostitutes had the, their heads shaved? The prostitutes had their heads shaved. Um, that's how you could tell that they were a prostitute. Um, and sometimes the children that were there that were children that were sold to them. And in order to get them out, you had to buy them. That's why there's a name that comes up by the name of Erasmus that many believe was a merchant that actually bought slaves out of this ring of prostitution. That has a step that's taken a little bit further into into the church. Do you remember the passage that's where Paul says women keep your heads covered. Did you ever wonder why he said that? Probably why. Why do you think? So that you didn't get confused with one of them. I don't know. Hardly. <laughs> You're on to it. Many believe that because some of these individuals were being bought from out of slavery, from prostitution, yeah. that because they had their heads shaved, they would be brought into the community of the church. So when Paul says to the community of the church, ladies, keep your heads covered, he's not telling you legalistically, keep your heads covered. He's saying, keep your heads covered so people can't tell the difference between who was once a prostitute and who was a believer. So what we've turned into this legalistic practice in the church, many believe was actually done out of grace so that a woman could come in or even a child could come in and they would say, keep your heads covered so you can't tell the difference. You know, and I thought when he told us that, it's like, you know, how many other times have we looked at some of Paul's writings and turned them into restrictions and legalistic practices when in reality he was saying, I want you to live by grace and show the love of Jesus Christ to somebody that's just been brought out of, a, of an atmosphere that was very destructive. So I share that with you that as you study the scripture, especially Paul's letters, um, study it deeply and uh, don't look at the word just there. Yes. Being raised as Mennonites, that was just eye-opening for me because women with the covering. Yeah. I mean, my, all my aunties and, and even to a certain extent for a time at Pension River Church in Pension. Yeah. The covering. Yep. And that goes back to that. Keep your heads covered without even realizing that they were <coughs> misconstruing the meaning behind the community. Yeah. So yeah. It's, it was very, uh, for me it was, uh, I mean, I, I just sat there and thought, how many other things have we taken by, you know, verbatim by what Paul wrote when Paul was actually saying something else? Um, yes. I was just going to say in that vein, just like they talk about when Paul said, I think, keep the women silent. You got to look at the time. Right. It doesn't go to 2,000 years later, you know, to our time and say, well, women can't preach from the pulpit. That's not what that, that meant. Yeah. It was at that time, because at that time, women were not educated. Yeah. So you got to look at sometimes the times. Well, and, and I uh, I would say, too, that when people, speaking of, 
of genders and women and so on from the pulpit. Obviously, I co-lead with a female. Um, and so that was one of the things that I had to be able to sit down and even with Kelly, sit down and go through the scriptures and talk about what do the scriptures truly say about women in ministry. And um, and I've had I have guys even in our denomination that are completely against, you know, women in the pulpit. And I've gone back to the scriptures and I said, how do you handle the different passages where Paul talks about Lydia from Philippi. How do you handle um, uh, when you've got, um, and the name's going to escape me right now. Priscilla. Uh, Priscilla and Aquila, thank you, who discipled Apollos. Uh, one pastor that I know would always say, well, in the scriptures, you always see Paul or Barnabas and Paul, Paul and Silas, it's always two men. It's like, how do you answer the question when Paul says it's Priscilla and Aquila? Priscilla is mentioned first, and she is helping to disciple Apollos. And I said, "There's now we've got a problem for me. Now we got a problem because it's not consistent. And some would, and I've had some tell me, well, it's not cultural. And I'm like, then how do you handle the, the situation of, of keeping your head covered? That's cultural. So Paul does write culturally and we have to be very careful at what we could make restriction and legal and, and uh, make legalistic um, now I will tell you and I've shared this with Kelly um, I'll tell I told her one day I said the problem that many have with with females in the pulpit is that they go in with this heavy-handed fist I'm gonna show you I'm gonna prove to you and I said you do that I said they're gonna crucify you I said go with the heart of grace I said I got your back Go in with a heart of grace. Go and love people. And I said, they will come alongside of you. I said, but if you go in, like, I'm going to prove to you and, and so on. I said, it, it won't work. And um, so that's completely different matter from Revelation. But a uh, little side note there. So rabbit trails for you today. Let's talk a little bit about Satan. Um, we are, hang on. I'm going to hit. 19. I heard somebody say it. 19. 19, is it chapter 19? We are 19, where it says verse 11 through 21. Return of Christ. Return of Christ. Or are we ahead of you? No. No, you said you was going to skim over it. going to skim over it. I want to make sure I get some of this to you. I think this was a section. I highlighted all my, all my um, slides, except for this one. that's only one page well let's go through chapter 19 since i do have that in front of you the next page is starts 20. yeah let's do 19. i'm going to skim through this quickly um, and give you kind of a heads up on what's going on here because in chapter 19 this is when all the sudden things turn for the good um, and you'll notice there chapter 19 is where we make things right in the beginning everything was good genesis 1 and 2 all of creation was immersed in sin genesis 3 then we get to Revelation 19, and the world is put back the way that God wants it. Um, so as we get down there, you'll notice where it says Revelation 19, key thoughts. There is a, the word hallelujah comes up, and there are four times in Scripture, all of them in Revelation 19, where we see the word um, hallelujah. And John MacArthur uses the... We don't have the same page you got. It's the one I gave you the, today. Um, okay, so what's on there? 
there is, I gave the four pages I gave you today, I believe has, maybe not. No, I gave you 17 and 18, didn't I? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, maybe I didn't give you this one either. 19 we have is the return of Christ. Yeah, and it starts at uh, 19. I got gotcha. you. Verse 11. All right, just listen then. I'm just, I don't have these notes for you. So just, right. just take in all the mental, you know, notes that you can. But the, the main thing I want you to notice in chapter 19 is the word hallelujah. MacArthur says he uses the word yippee uh, because this is where things all of a sudden it's like, ah, there's this breath of fresh air. Things are now under Christ's control. Um, there's this completeness that's taking place. There's this uh, per perfect completeness that has now come about. Um, there is a, a reunion that's a complete a completion of our reunion with Christ. So this is where things now finally come to a close. It's a completion of our reunion with one another, all saints from all time. We are together. And so that's what we begin to see here. And so our salvation is complete. Um, so what are we saved from? That's always a, a, a thing. What are, In this time, what are we saved from? Well, we're saved from original sin. We're saved from judgment. And we're saved from the guilt of sin. Uh, when we get into what does that salvation look like? Um, Do those three again. That is uh, original sin, judgment, and guilt. Now, let's go to Christ's return. The next page, verses 11 through 21. Let's see if I'm... <laughs> 1 through 10, though, here. Oh, I want to make sure I got the right... <coughs> okay. Um, in this portion of chapter 19, it begins with, I saw heaven standing open. Now, earlier, it was a door. I saw a door open. Now, it's heaven is open. Um, it is open for all to see. And so, what does John see? Well, he sees Jesus Christ, the rider on a white horse. Remember, there was a horse earlier, the four horsemen of the apocalypse, as they call it. Many have said, well, that was Jesus. And that's why the rapture of the church happens. That wasn't Jesus. That was the Antichrist. It was a fake false rider. This is the rider on the white horse. This is Jesus Christ. And it says that he sits on a white horse, which is the symbol of victory. Now, remember when Jesus entered Jerusalem at the, uh, when he came in on a donkey uh, uh, at the, why am I losing the Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday, thank you. Uh, when he went in, it says he rode on a donkey, which was characteristic of an Israeli or a Hebrew king. Uh, but he would ride in on a donkey, which was a sign of peace. Um, it wasn't a sign of conquering and a sign of, of being conquered. However, this time, Jesus comes in as a conqueror. Uh, he's not coming in on a donkey. He's coming in and he's going to come in triumphantly. And it's going to be a moment in which everybody will know. It says that he is called faithful and true, meaning he's kept his promise uh, to return to earth. It says he comes to judge and make war. And that's the war that he's going to bring on sin and evil. And he's going to finalize it. And it's going to be completely obliterated. Um, the first time he came as a savior, this time he will not come as a savior. He's going to come as a judge. It says he has eyes like flames of fire. Um, and that is the look of judgment uh, that anytime you, again, anytime you see God and fire, 
together its judgment. Uh, when when the on the day of atonement, when the high priest would enter into the holy of holies and they would put the sacrifice and he would he would fling the blood on the on the bema seat or the ark of the covenant, there would be fire that would descend into the holy of holies and it would it would consume the sacrifice. Um, and there's all it's that's if you going back to that book, uh, the feasts of the Lord. That's a, amazing. If you get to read that book, it it's just describes so much about that that we just don't see in the scriptures regarding the, all of the nuances of that particular um, worship practice. So the author Marvin Rosenthal. Did I bring the book? I don't think I did. Yes, the other day you I think I took it out. So my back was hurting with my backpack being too heavy. Uh, so <laughs> it's uh, it's called the feasts of the Lord. <coughs> And I think it's Marvin Rosenthal that wrote it. Thank you. Yep, great book, easy read. Um, it's not a it's not a, a a heady book, so I would tell you get it, read it, um, and it, it really does explain a lot. I will tell you this: the author leans towards a pre-wrath tribulational rapture, so you just have to keep that in mind. If you lean towards um, pre-trib. Uh, pre-tribulational, you're probably going to get either swayed or confused or uh, educated. So one of those. Um, so just be aware of that uh, as the, the feast days are broken down. Um, this says Kevin Howard of Marvin Rosenthal. Thank you. Kevin Howard, Marvin Rosenthal. Um, both of them are Jewish. Uh, I'm pretty sure. Obviously, Rosenthal kind of has that Jewish nuance to it. Uh, um, it says that he wears many crowns, which is a symbol of dominion and sovereignty. Uh, as you begin to see who he is, that he truly is a sovereign God that's in control of all things. Um, it was customary for a king to wear the crown of the defeated king, but in this case, he's wearing a crown. It doesn't seem to suggest that. Um, it says that he has an unknown name, which is a symbol of his deity. Why does that stick out to anybody? An unknown name. Where? D-E-I-T-Y. Anybody understand the no name? Where else do we see that in scripture? Oh, no, no. Yes. What at the burning bush when Moses said, Who do I say has sent me? What does he say? Tell them the I am has sent you. It's not well, it's not a name. That's because the God that has no name that can describe who he is. Um, now, eventually we'll see this name, but in this case, he has an unknown name. Um, today, even in, in some circles, the name Yahweh is not even pronounced by some Jews because they just don't want to pronounce the name of, of God. Um, so, so he has an unknown name. He is dressed in a blood-stained robe which is a description of his sacrifice. It's his battle gear. He wears the blood of the cross and possibly the blood of his enemies on this road. It says that he is followed by the armies of heaven. Now, who are uh, the people of this army? That's a question. Well, some believe that these are the saints, meaning his church. And it would kind of give to give you kind of an understanding that you know the church is raptured, and 
and some believe that it's as it happens as Jesus is coming, that the church is raptured and we meet the Lord in the air, and then potentially we come right back to earth, but that won't happen probably until he gets things cleared away for the most part. He defeats his enemies, and then we uh, reside with him on earth. Um, the others, others think it's the angels, uh, his own angels that come and they make battle with the, uh, the devil and the Antichrist. Um, and then others say these are martyrs. So don't know. Honestly, uh, someday, you know, we'll find out. Um, but we do know that there comes a day after Christ's return that we will be with him on earth uh, for a thousand years. Satan will be bound, and we'll talk about that in a second. And uh, then we will reign on this earth with him. Now, the rule of the king. Uh, he will fight with the word of his mouth. What is the word of God is described as coming out of Jesus' mouth? A sword. Um, that's why we always took our Bibles. Raise your sword. You remember that? And uh, no cheating, Randy. That, I, you know, that one. Um, you know, you're always sitting there with the binding. Yeah. Put the binding in your hand, Randy. So, and so uh, yeah, that was... Got some bad memories there. Uh, it says he will establish his government. He will rule with an iron scepter. We also know that it says he will crush all wickedness. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And finally, he will defeat the beast. So Jesus comes. He comes with the armies. And he meets the beast. And they have battle. And that's where we begin to see this battle that where he is, the beast is defeated and Jesus Christ then uh, earns back his creation or he wins back his creation. Uh, questions? Probably thinking, I don't even know where to begin with questions. So, All right, go to Revelation 20, next, next section. This is where we begin to see uh, what happens with Satan as he gets bound? We know in Revelation 19, we see the destruction of the Antichrist and the false prophet. They are thrown into hell eventually. They're the first two people to go into hell. Um, so they're thrown in there. He, uh, from that moment, then we see Satan's power is no more, and he is bound by an angel of God for a thousand years. Um, some believe that he's bound by Michael. Uh, the book of Jude says that Michael at one time warred with the devil and could not defeat him um, but there comes a time where he will he will be bound uh, and he'll be thrown into a Hades now he's again hell is a permanent place Hades is a temporary place um, so he's thrown into Hades um, where the inhabitants the unbelieving inhabitants of all creation are awaiting sentencing the Bible says eventually death and Hades give up their dead and that's when they will go to the judgment seat and they will be judged. And basically that's their sentencing. Um, do they know what's going to happen? I'm pretty sure they do. But they will stand and now they will be condemned and they will go into hell permanently. Um, and that's a, let me just say that to this day, that is a really hard concept for me to wrap my head around. Um, knowing that I worship a loving God, I really just wish there was something. I just sit back and think, there's something you could do, something where you could save all of your creation. You know, especially when you think about family and close friends, 
you know. Now, for me, there's other people. It's like, yeah, you can have them. Just put them down. I don't care. <laughs> but you know, you think about you think about people you love. That's hard, isn't it? And then it's hard to think. What's what is our minds? How is how do we comprehend and, and that concept? Are we going to know? You know, will we stand before the judgment seat of Christ and see our loved ones across that we know that they're going to, you know, spend eternity? And it's just like, ah, it does. It makes your heart ache when you think about it because we don't know. You just don't. Um, so, you know, I, I pray that God does. I know he will. He does everything within his power to save his creation, even if there's just a glimmer of grace there. Uh, I really believe that he will. Um Again, remember that uh, the abyss or this place, this holding tank is where Satan will be or he'll be put for a thousand years. Um, and as we begin to see Satan's release, um, the question that many people have is, well, why is he released? Um, well, after a thousand years, and again, this is assuming that there's, it's a literal thousand years, um, he's released to test the faith of those who are living still during the thousand year reign of Christ. Now, I say that there will be people that make it through the tribulation period. These people will live during that thousand years. Um, we will also be there as well, but these people will be unredeemed. Um, will there be a chance for redemption during that time? I don't know. But it says that after a thousand years that Satan will come and gather the kings of the earth. And that will be those individuals that are unredeemed. So they will live on this earth in a time of peace because Christ will be in control. Some wonder, will there be the presence of sin uh, on earth because there will be people that are unredeemed? Some, some say that because Satan is bound, that his activity will be um, bound as well. And so we'll live, we'll live in a peaceful time. Um, so I don't, so I don't really know. Um, it's a good, it's a good thing to sit here and like, hmm, think about, you know, that's, that's one of those questions that make you go, hmm. Uh, so we just don't know. Uh, yes. I just want to comment. I don't have any idea about how that all fits in a thousand years or something, but when you say, like, since Satan will be bound, maybe that means there wouldn't be sin. But we don't, our sinfulness is not just because Satan made me do it or whatever. Right. It's our own fleshly nature. So even if he's bound, then maybe he's not contributing to it. But yep. but I don't know how it relates to that. Yeah, I don't I know. I studied this deeply enough to understand a thousand years. But if you do... Yeah, and it's one of those things. I, I mean, I've sat there and gone back and forth, back and forth. Like, huh, okay, the 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 presence of of evil, of sin is bound, but we still have an unrepentant heart, unredeemed heart. So then it's like, hmm, you've got Jesus that's ruling. So yeah, I I sit there, boy. It's like a tennis match. Sometimes you just go back and forth. You know, that's this is why they make you take philosophy class. You know, and, which I hated philosophy class, but this is now I know why they make you take it because you sit there and you have to walk through the the if this then causes and so on. So at least we know Satan is released to attempt his final conquest of Christ after a thousand years after the earth has been given its Sabbath rest. Satan is released and he goes and attempts. To conquer Christ, and that is when he's defeated. Um, that is when he's pretty much annihilated. And then we see that hell, Satan is thrown into hell along with the Antichrist and the false prophet. Now, 
in, uh, I believe in your text, and I've skipped over quite a bit. I mean, I breezed over a few things, but underneath where it says hell, Satan is thrown into hell along with the Antichrist, the false prophet, there's a, a box, I believe, that says two misconceptions. Yeah. Okay, two misconceptions of hell commonly taught. Um, should be in a box, I think. Oh, yeah. There's two misconceptions. One's called annihilationism. Has anybody ever heard of that? Uh, anybody ever hear of the Worldwide Church of God? Oh. Armstrongism? Yeah, I'm sad under some teaching. Boy, was that weird. Yeah, it, it was a bit odd. They, they taught annihilationism, the, which was that a person didn't go to hell, but their, their soul was just annihilated. So they didn't, they didn't believe that God would ever send somebody into an eternal hell. So instead of God sending them, they were annihilated and the, their hell was that they never existed. Um, so you could go to heaven, but nobody went to hell because they were, they were annihilated. But if you are annihilated, you're not going to, oh, that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> that doesn't make any sense to me at all. It, uh, it's kind of the human way of saying, well, you were a bad person, but you're not going to have to deal with hell, so God's just going to make it like you never existed. Yeah. Yeah. So, so when you get wherever, you're not going to find your loved ones anyway. Yeah, you just because disappear. Disappear. Right. Like you never have. Uh, I have, a, I guess, a question. Uh, <laughs> God does a judging and judges you be thrown into hell. It seems like to me, really, you're putting yourself there by your acts that you've done on this earth since we have the freedom of choice. People make that choice right. to go. And then really you're making your own hell by making those choices. And you've given God no choice but to try. Yeah, yeah. That's, uh, That's what seems oh, like. Those are the questions that have boggled the minds of yeah. biblical scholars for centuries. and But... The other one is universalism, which means that it's a, there will be eventual forgiveness for everybody. Um, universalism is heresy, meaning that God's the atonement covers everybody. And I'm not sure if I got this. Even if you don't want it. Except for those that desire not to. So it basically says the blood of Christ has covered everybody. And then the only way it doesn't cover you cover you is if you choose to get out. So that's also heresy. Um, and it means, and basically it says his atonement has covered everybody versus what we would probably teach. That is the atonement is available for you to come in. Um, so, you know, and that goes back to human freedom as well, talking about what is our freedom and how do we come in. Now, back to uh, your question as well, uh, something that you brought up that probably should be, we should all understand. There is two judgments in scripture. Um, there's a judgment for faith and there's a judgment for works. So we will have two judgments, except the believer. The Bible says in Romans, there is now no more condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. By faith, we bypass the judgment of faith. For those that don't have faith, they will stand before the judgment seat of Christ and be judged for their works. 
and they will be found wanting. That's where we get into Matthew where it says, but Lord, I did this, did this, did this. And he says, I never knew you because they believe that they are going to be, their, their works is, is their salvation. We will still, believers will be judged for their works. Um, the Bible seems to suggest that we will bypass the judgment of faith because we are in Christ, but we all will be judged for our works. Um, and that's our reward. Uh, you know, when we, people have always said, um, well, heaven's this, 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 I hate to say it this way. It's a um, socialist utopia. You know, everybody has the same reward. And that's not true. The Bible says that we're going to have a reward in heaven. Um, and the reward that we have in heaven will be from what we did on earth. Um, and what that looks like, I have no idea. I really don't. But I do believe. Now, does that mean that there will be some that could squeak in? Yeah, probably. But reality is this. There's two judgments, and we will um, have a judgment for works. And the Bible says that the judgment of works will be, it will consume, uh, like our uh, in First First Corinthians or Second Corinthians, it says that some uh, will be judged and their works will, re will be revealed like wood, hay, straw, gold and costly stones. Remember that passage? And that basically our works on earth will pass through the refining fire of Jesus Christ. And what was our works that were not of Christ, those will be consumed. And what will be left is our reward. Um, so again, I don't say that because I want people to get out there and say, well, I'm going to work as hard as I can down here on earth. Uh, you know, so that I have a reward in heaven. That's that's actually evil. Our, our works here on earth are, are the compelling power of the Spirit of Jesus Christ moving us. Yes? So, there is the scriptures that talk about casting your crowns before. Yes. And is that after this? Yes, I believe it is. I think one of my biggest fears sometimes is to not have enough. I mean, not because for reward's sake, but just because I want, I want to be able to get to him. Yeah, yeah, I love that. You know, and then too, you know, my my personality is, is well, Billy Graham's probably going to throw down a crown bigger than mine, and I'm, you know, I'm going to, you know, so yeah, I'm sorry, Lord, you know, but the reality is, is that I think there's something to be said about that by casting our rewards before the throne of Jesus Christ, you know, knowing that what we did on earth was an expression of the spirit of Jesus Christ moving through us. And, and, the, and uh, I, I just, I really love that idea. So anyway, another sidebar for you. Um, let's see, where's that put us? The final judgment, uh, which I believe, do you have it? Yeah, it's right on the bottom of the same page. <laughs> final judgment, thank you. This is what is known as the great white throne judgment. Um, it is the last great judgment of all the ages. Uh, and so that's when things will be final. Uh, when we have the, after the thousand years, it says the Bible will give up the dead um, that are going to be separated from Christ. They will be judged, but that final judgment will take place. There's a lot of other judgments. I listed some of them there for you that you'll notice. The yes. great white throne, the perfect throne of blank at blank. The perfect throne of the great white judgment is the perfect throne of blank at blank. It's the last one. 
I don't have that. It's below the box. It's just before the box. I don't think so. I don't have it. Oh. Say that again. Here. Okay. Why wasn't this? No, it's really like that. Here's the box, and then you go through this. Great, great, great. Well, strangely enough, I changed my notes. So write this in instead of that. It is the last great judgment of all ages. I will say thank you for being my guinea pigs for when I do this again. Because... Uh, um, it, it, it was interesting because last week I actually took a work week uh, pre preparing for this week. Um, that was the intention. And about the week prior to, uh, one of the staffers was supposed to preach on my behalf. He couldn't do it. So so not only was I prepping for this week, but I had to preach on Sunday as well. So things were a little, uh, didn't get as much done as I was hoping. But uh, thank you for your grace. So. Um, got a little hairy. I got a little hairy. Yes. So I'm gonna. I listed some judgments there. I believe. If not, um, there there's some that you will notice in Scripture. Judgments of the cross, judgment of believers, judgment of believers' works. This might not be in your notes, but you, if you go through Scripture, you'll notice there's a lot of different descriptions of judgment that's going to take place. Judgment of nations. Judgment of Israel. Um, and if you go back in the scripture, judgment of Israel is really important because it always says first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. So the judgment of Israel is going to be a bit more intense um, because they were God's chosen. Um, so, you know, it's kind of like, you know, it's kind of like coaching your kid. You know, I'm going to be harder on you than I'm going to be harder on the other kids. So um, there's some books in heaven. I don't know if I've listed this for you or not. Um, but I'm just going to, I, I don't even have a slide. Do I have it in there? Uh, the Lamb's Book of Life yeah, is yeah, one. It's on there. Good. Wait, I got it. I'm on the wrong page now. Um, there's the actual Book of Life, the Book of Remembrance, the Book of Deeds. So there are different books that will be opened in heaven, uh, just so you're kind of aware of that. Let me... What goes in the blanks then? The Lamb's Book of Life, which, which contains the names of all the... Elect. You're not supposed to ask me that question. I was. Well, it's in here. <laughs> yeah, the other one is book of life. Book of life is the record of all human beings that have the breath of life or the spirit of life. Okay. The book of remembrance. God records your. Anybody want to guess? Prayers. Prayers of the saints. And the book of deeds, a book that records your works. Yes. Okay. Uh, next page. We're in Revelation 21 and 22. Wow. You don't have it? Okay. Well, hang with me. I'm going to give you the slides. Um, this is where everything is completed. Um, and there are four completions in Scripture. For, for it is kind of completed or done. There's the John 17, 4, where we see the completion of preparing the disciples the disciples to start the church where Jesus says it is finished. John uh, 19, the completion of redemption for the world. Jesus is on the cross, it is finished. Um, 
Revelation, God's wrath is complete. Uh, chapter 16, vengeance has been repaid for the church. And then Revelation 21, it's done. Everything is done. So those are four of them that we see as, as the completions. And then we'll be singing. Remember my kids, I don't remember which one it was that said, Dad, it's all we're going to do in heaven is sing. <laughs> yeah, so it's yeah. like, yeah. Like, and then you get to heaven, it's like, well, will they have different concert venues, like traditional music and contemporary <laughs> here, and maybe some headbangers over here, and oh, they have, I, so probably, who knows what, uh, I assume it'll be music that we've never heard before that'll be greater than all of it, but, uh, yes. Um, so those are the four completions that we see in scripture, it's done, and then, oh, what was oh, oops, sorry. <laughs> Yeah, we're all trained to read. Just like this. Like me, I can't write that fast either. Oh, I got that. Yes, yeah, redemption. Yeah. I started from the bottom and worked to the top. That one was not all that good. As you're writing those down, there, remember that now. Christ is in complete control of his creation. Um, there's no sun anymore. We eventually have a new heaven and a new earth. And, you know, and it's interesting. I, I've always tried to picture in my mind, like, what really, what really happens? Like, does God come down and take this earth? And the Bible seems to suggest that he purifies this earth. Um, or does he create a new earth altogether? I don't know. But it's going to be... It, it's going to, yes. So, no, no. Um, to me, you know, like I said earlier, it says that the rocks even cry out because of the heaviness of sin. So, regardless, it's going to be a new earth, a new heaven. We will live with Jesus Christ here on earth. Um, some have said, well, does that mean we have access to heaven? And, you know, it seems to suggest that, that, you know, for the redeemed or the for the, uh, those of us on earth, can we still have access or, you know, snap our fingers and poof, we're in heaven. Will we still have glorified bodies, you think? Does, does it say? We will, what I see is we'll have the bodies that Jesus Christ had after his resurrection. So we will have bodies that won't suffer from decay. We won't suffer from sickness. Uh, we will clothes or taking a bath or nothing. I don't know about that. That's a good question. I don't want to think about the clothes part. I just, I'll assume we're going to have robes. How's that? Let's just. Um, yeah. 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 That might be a different camp week. If you're. Right. Right. It'd be Adam before he bit the. Oh yeah. Right. So doesn't matter what. Yeah. Just don't want to think about it right now. So. 
So that's chapter 22. The Bible says to us that we will have, um, we will be able to drink from the river of life in chapter 22. Um, today we drink from Jesus, the, the living water. Um, but in that day, we'll be able to drink from the, the, um, the what would I just say, river of life. Um, the Bible says that the tree of life will be there. Uh, so that tree that was in the garden, we will have access to that tree uh, or it will be uh, apparent. Um, so really that takes us through the entire uh, book of Revelation. Yeah, I know. Now you can take a deep heck. Yes. I, this is a side question. I could ask it after you, you know, wind things up. But I'm just, just reading... 21 verse 14 the wall of the city had 12 foundations and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the lamb and it was like even Jesus? no no he was or was it the, Matthias? the apostle they chose by lot after well i'm gonna give you two potential answers um it could be matthias I think was the 12th that they drew straws for. Yeah. Some have suggested that the disciples were a little too hasty and that the 12th was Paul. So um, don't know. It it kind of sparks some curiosity. Yeah, I, so, I just, the first, I mean, I've read this so many times and all of a sudden it was just like, poof. yeah. How about the 12 tribes? Could, could be, There's that, um, yeah, you know, then the patriarchs, and you'll see the 12 coming the, up. Of the, um, the tribes are the, are the balls. Yeah. Oh, the gates. The gates are the 12 tribes. Okay. Oh, okay. And there are three gates on each of yeah. which represents the entrances of the of the yeah. and, and didn't they block up the eastern gate because that's where supposedly Christ is going to come back? Well, and yes, and the Easter, they call it the eastern gate or the golden gate, yeah. is the one that's completely sealed over. That is the only gate that goes into the Temple Mount. So they blocked it years ago because they didn't want. And put a cemetery, didn't they bury their dead in, in front of it so that the Jewish people yeah. come clean? Well, and that's the, and some and some Jews actually are buried on that um, on that mountain. It's on the Kidron Valley, and it's funny because I've been there a couple times, and and some believe that they want to be on that hill because when Jesus returns, it says he's going to stand on it, and they want to be the first ones to. <laughs> to be touched by Jesus. Uh, so maybe crushed by Jesus. I don't know. But, uh, yeah, that's, uh, but that's a very true. That, that's, that is the one um, gate that walked into the Temple Mount. And now, you know, there's no, there's access, but not that way. And yes, some believe that when Jesus comes, he will go through that gate. Um, so yeah, so much, so much stuff uh, that that's interesting. Um, we got seven minutes. Other questions? I've even heard from um, cemetery sextons that they bury people so that they can facing the east, yep. so that they can rise when Jesus says, "Okay, yep. come on up." Yeah, they always put their head towards the west yeah. so that they come up. Yeah, towards the east. Yep. Yeah. Uh, uh, funeral director in Sunfield, where I came from, all, he told me it every time. I don't know why, but he said, oh, we always put the head towards the west yeah. and uh, so that they face. Yeah. What if the cemetery lots aren't? Situated so that they, they can do, do that. They do. He'll, he'll have to call Dave. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and what about ashes? 
What about your ashes? Good question. Because uh, I had an aunt that had her son uh, was cremated and she just had a bit. She goes, I, you know, um, I don't want my son cremated. When G and he became a believer towards the end of his life, I had a chance to baptize him. And she goes, when uh, when Jesus comes, how's he gonna? How's he gonna?